have got a lot to cover today, so you guys are going to have to listen quickly. It is going to be a, a lot to cover. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of what we talked about last week. Um, again, we've been walking through the book of Joshua. Um, we've just come out of the point in time where they had the victory in Jericho. Then they left Jericho. They went and had a, a battle at the place called Ai and suffered a humiliating defeat. So last week's message, we were talking about the impact of hidden sin, and we took note of how demoralized Joshua and his people were after this battle of Ai. They went from being these invulnerable soldiers who were literally representatives of the great mighty God to being cowards on the run because God had taken his hand of blessing off of the people. The reason why he did this is because there was a soldier named Achan who had taken upon himself to take a little bit of the, of the things that God had said they could not have. He stole some of the riches for himself, and because of that, God took his hand off of them, and it was his unfaithfulness that now had his countrymen suffering. And what we're looking at is the fact that that impact of hidden sin, and last week we looked at five different, five different ways in which that hidden sin impacted the people. The first thing it did was it empowered their enemies and empowered their enemies. This weak little city of Ai had defeated the mighty army of God. They had literally gone from being this powerhouse to being overwhelmed and running for their lives. And what we saw was the fact that it was all tied to this unfaithfulness of Achan. And just what we related it to is the fact of the unfaithfulness that we allow into our lives. When we allow unfaithfulness in our lives, our unfaithfulness to God, what does it do? It literally translates into defeats. It translates into suffering in our lives based upon our circumstances. Then what we did was we looked at the fact that bottom line there was a uh, there was uh, at that that uh, loss was that the weakness of faith was the second thing we saw. So the people literally had allowed their circumstances to overwhelm them. In this moment they had seen what was going on. Now they lost confidence in themselves, and that was a good thing. Because confidence in self is not what we need. We need confidence in God, not in confidence in self. So what happens is, but that also the problem was that they lost faith. They lost faith in God. They were shaken to their core. And it was based upon their circumstances. And so many times, believers, we allow our circumstances to shake our faith, to affect whether or not we trust and believe God. Then we looked at the, the third thing, which is the fact that hidden sin makes uh, courageous people fearful. The defeated Ai had shaken them to their core. Not only shaken the people, but shaken Joshua as well. And we heard Joshua say in verse number 7 last week, we heard this. Here's what he said. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side, Jordan. Joshua is despondent. And hopeless in this moment. He's allowing his current understanding of his situation to determine his outlook. And what we're going to see more of that today is Joshua's going to place his confidence in man instead of God. And it's this misplaced faith, not in God, but in something else that will bring destruction. And he's going to fall prey to his fear. And listen, if we allow our faith to be impacted by our fear, we are heading down a dangerous road. And what we find is the fact that a result of immense faith is actually an absence of fear. And we think about that and you go, is that really true? Think about what Jesus said when they were coming out of the storm, right? When they were in the midst of the storm when the, and, the, and the disciples are all freaking out. They all think they're going to die. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 8, 26. And he saith unto them, why are ye fearful? What is the cause of your fear? O ye of little faith. Right? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus is telling them that their level of their faith is determined by the level of their fear. 
which brought us to the fourth impact. The fourth impact was the fact that it causes God's people to settle for less. Joshua was not only willing to accept defeat in the moment at Ai, but guess what? He was willing to give up on the whole shebang. He was ready to say, like, you know what? Hey, this, this is a done deal. Listen to how he closed verse number seven. Would to God we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. God's promise to them, the promised land, he was willing to forego the whole thing. It's not his faith speaking. It is his fear. And I'm just telling you, when we allow our emotions to guide our lives, we are headed for destruction. We're setting ourselves up for failure. There's a phrase that I heard years ago that I've always remembered, and it's this. Our emotions are wonderful passengers on the road of life, but they should never be the drivers. Okay? Our emotions are wonderful passengers on the road of life. Your emotions make things fun. But how many of us made him made just purely emotional decisions before and lived to regret it? <laughs> That's just, just what happens. Then we looked at the fact is, the last thing, the fifth thing, that pride, that, that uh, hidden sin can bring the prideful to their knees. So the first four were negatives, and the fifth one can be a negative, but bottom line is it can also be a positive. It can be a life-changing positive thing because where do we turn in that moment of brokenness? Where do we turn when we find ourselves in this moment? Do we surrender to God's will? Do we fall upon our knees, our knees and say, God, you know what? Your will, not mine. See, there's, that's the choice. We can either fall before the Lord or we can defiantly stand against God. People make the choice every single day. Will we turn to Him and, and do, his, do things His way? Or will we do it our way? Our way traditionally leads to destruction. God's way, He has a purpose and a plan for our lives. And what we saw last week was Joshua was on his face, praise God, before the Lord. He's on the road to restoration. But what we're going to find out today is it's a very bumpy road for Joshua. Because what's going to happen, he's going to struggle to get beyond his circumstances He's going to struggle to, to see beyond his, his, his pain and his fear. And this message today is, today is titled, Man's Denial Versus God's Revelation. And we're only going to get to part one, which is man's denial today. So let's pray real quick and we'll jump into it. Thank you, Lord, for today and the gift, uh, Father, of your word. I thank you so much for, uh, Lord, speaking to me. You know that, uh, God, I've prayed through the week. I've studied. I've I have uh, meditated on this, and Lord, I have know that you've spoken to me. I'm asking you, Lord, please, uh, to speak through me. Lord, I don't, uh, I don't want to mess this thing up. Uh, this is your message, God, and I just want to simply uh, deliver it as you would have it delivered. Don't let me inter interject anything human that, that may derail things. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, your will will be accomplished. Help our ears to be receptive and our hearts, Lord, to be willing uh, to, Lord, uh, not only receive what's given, but, Lord, help it change us uh, that we might look a little bit more like you by the end. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua chapter 7. We're going to read verses 8 through 12. Today we're only going to get through 8 and 9. Verse 7, verses 8, or chapter 7, verses 8 through 12. Oh Lord, what, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ us around, and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up. Wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and, ha and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them. For they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen, and dissembled also, and they have put it among their own stuff. I love how God uses the word stuff. I just think that's cool. <laughs> Verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except you destroy the accursed 
from among you. So we see God's going to reveal what's going on. But up until that point in verses 8 and 9, that's where we're going to be today. What we've been doing is we've been following Joshua through this book. And he's been an exemplary example of a man of God. He has been fearless. He's been faithful. He's been obedient through everything that he's faced right up until this defeated AI. This has knocked him for a loop. And what we hear in these five verses is we hear a discourse between him and God. And what's interesting is it's rather a contentious discord between the two of them. It's not relaxed. It's not uh, an, a positive thing. It's literally, Joshua is overwhelmed by his emotions in this moment. He's literally, now we know he's laying on his face. Verse number six said that he's on his face. But even though he's on his face, he does not have ears to hear. He's not listening. Listen, he's literally complaining about his situation. Verse 6, he went on his face. Verse 7, we just read, and Joshua said, this is why, imagine this, laying on your face before the altar, or laying before the, before the ark of God. Alas, O Lord God, okay, he's not listening, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Question, you brought us here to die. Would to God we had been, been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. I'm ready to quit. Verses 8 and 9, where we pick back up here to where we pick up today, we're going to find ourselves in an unusual space because what we're doing today is we're not going to learn how to be a, a follower of God today. We're going to learn from Joshua how not to do it because Joshua is going to fail. Verses 8 and 9 is a failure. You know, what's so amazing about the Bible is the fact that God includes us all kinds of failure. If you were going to write a book where you're going to show all the greatness of God, you'd show all these perfect people. If it was created by humanity, we wouldn't show all of the issues, all the struggles. But God knew that the Bible needed to include all the truth because guess what? We're all in struggles. We're all dealing with the same stuff. So that's why it's written the way it is. And he reveals all the yucky details, all the things that we maybe think we shouldn't know. But what we're going to learn today, I said, is how to not do what we're going to do. And so many times in life, how many of us can think about people that we saw at our job, right? At our, at our church, perhaps, at our school, and we learn lessons on how not to do things based upon what we saw them do. I can tell you in the ministry that I have worked with and worked for pastors that taught me a lot more about what not to do in ministry than actually what to do. And that's a sad truth, but guess what? It's true in all situations. But where it's most true is in the home. It's in, it's in the home. Listen, if someone comes from a home that is full of drama and contention, odds are very, very good that the home that they will one day establish for themselves will be filled with drama and contention. If you grow up in a home where fighting and yelling are regular things, guess what? That's normal. It's normal. That's the way it's supposed to be. But can I tell you, it's not normal. It's not normal. And it's certainly not godly. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. James 1.19-20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man, listen to this, worketh not the righteousness of God. Right. Never, never, never. And listen, there are Christian homes. And in a Christian home, guess what should be abounding there? The fruit of the Spirit. That's what should be seen. Right? What is that? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's the fruit that should be exposed. And what happens is when there's a, when there's a home and that's not what's shown. It's a Christian home. And they may say, you know what, man? We're, we're, we're just passionate people. 
I got that Latin blood. We're Italian. We just yell. And people say, it's okay because it's just the way we communicate. But can I tell you this? It's just wrong. It's just wrong because it is not, it's not godly. And then those very same people will come and get counsel and say, I don't understand. My child is yelling back at me. Guess what? They will do what we do, not what we say. They learn bad habits from us. And see, our tendency is to follow bad habits, not to learn from them. So as we look at Joshua today, we must be paying attention to go, you know what, if I recognize this in me, I need to change it. I need to recognize that Joshua's not my example. The fruit of the Spirit. If we want our child to grow up in a home where the fruit of the Spirit abounds, then guess what? While they're under our roof, that's what we need to show them. We must model for them what we want them to have in their life. And see, God literally, He talks about this human tendency for us to follow the pattern of our parents. In Exodus 20, verse 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity. Listen, he says, look, don't be idolaters. Don't have your eyes off of me, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. Those that will defy me. Guess what? This is going to be a a long-lasting impact. And how many of us know families that literally are stuck in this cycle? This is who they are, generation after generation after generation. And see, we can either learn from this or we can repeat it. And I can tell you, these people that struggle with this, they may call themselves Christians, but that does not mean that their home is being led by the Lord. Their emotions lead their homes. Again, they should never be the drivers. Wonderful passengers on the road of life, but they should never be in the driver's seat. Because can I tell you, godlessness tends to breed more godlessness. So we have to refine ourselves because we set the standard. Again, we can adopt bad habits or we can learn from bad habits and grow and go forward. So as we look at Joshua today, again, in this discourse, what we're going to hear is he's not going to handle things right. This thing has got him all cattywampus, and he's trying to figure out how to deal with the situation. So first we're going to look at Joshua's denial. Next week we'll look at God's revelation. We're going to look at how God's going to show him the truth. But in verses 8 and 9, what we're going to see is his response is this. He's going to first of all shift blame. He's going to allow fear to determine his outlook. And then he's going to blame God. He's going to blame God. Listen again, verses 8 and 9. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around. He says they're going to surround us and cut off our name from the earth. They're going to kill us. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? You see, from Joshua's perspective, he's got to get the Lord up to speed. (laughs) <laughs> he's like, hey, you don't understand what's going on. You've fallen down on the job. What's going on right now is, guess what? We're, we're in a mess. Things have fallen apart. Men have died. We've, we've suffered a defeat. Remember, we're supposed to go undefeated. No one's supposed to die. But all this is taking place, and you know, we're in a mess. And guess what? You, you need to take care of this. You need to handle this mess. And how many times do we, when our lives, when we find ourselves in a mess, instead of looking within ourselves, what do we do? We come to God, and we say, hey, can you fix this? Could you, could you take care of this, God? Isn't this maybe on you? And so many times we don't look within. See, so many times there are faults here. There are issues in our own lives. Joshua does not see it because guess what? He's not looking. He's not looking. And he is going to shift blame. That's the first thing we see. Shifts blame. Notice this. Oh, Lord, what shall I say 
when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> I've done my part, God. You asked me to lead, I've led them. We went, we went and, and battled Jericho, that went great, and, and we just went forward doing the same thing we're supposed to do, but it's all falling apart. I don't understand. He's not assuming responsibility about what's happened here. This is the lingering impact of hidden sin in Joshua's life. As it ripples through him, he's still struggling with his fear, even though he's lying prostrate before God in this moment. He is still complaining. He does not realize that he stopped relying on God. He does not realize that he stopped allowing God to guide them, that he made the choice. Verse number 8, Joshua literally shifts blame onto his men. What am I supposed to do? The guys all ran away. What do you, what, what do you expect me to do about this? Totally not recognizing the fact that there could be any responsibility upon him at all. And ultimately what happens is the fact that here, he's the one that made the decision. Remember, Joshua's the one that made the call. He's the one that decided to go forward. Joshua knows that he's God's representative of all of the people. It's representative he alone. See, notice when God speaks to him about the promises that he speaks in pronouns that are singular. Notice what he says. This, there's tons of examples, but I just pull one really good one. Joshua 1.5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee. All the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. He's talking to the people, but guess what? He's also talking to an individual. God is telling Joshua, this whole thing hinges on you. You represent your people. He represents them as a whole. And he's not assuming responsibility. He's not digging for answers. He's passing the buck. That's exactly what's taking place. And notice, it is our human nature to shift blame. It's our human nature to shift blame. This is just what we do. It's so easy to look for a problem somewhere else and exonerate ourselves of any wrongdoing. You know why? Because it's painful to look at ourselves. Right? It always makes me think, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. There's a movie called Dumb and Dumber. And there's these two knucklehead characters. And in the movie, one of the guys takes a, a salt shaker and he throws it over his shoulder and hits this really big, tough guy. And the big, tough guy gets up and goes walking over to the table. He's like, who hit me like that? And one guy's like, him. It was him. And he was the one that, so he's the one that threw it, but he shifts blame. As children, how many of us were ever blamed? I was the little brother, so guess who got all the blame, right? We receive it because what happens, it's painful to deal with our accountability to the things that we've done wrong. It's much easier to try to shift the blame. And this is the problem right here. Joshua's not looking at himself. He's looking for ways to avoid responsibility. This is fueled by emotion not the Spirit of God. Because what you find out about the emotions is your fears and your emotions, they tell you to hide your failures. But you know what the Spirit of God does? Brings them to the surface. The Bible says men love the, love the darkness because their deeds are evil. God is light, right? And in Him is no darkness at all. And see, God sees what we do wrong. God knows if we're wrong. God knows if we have failures. And guess what? He assigns the guilt that is due. And if we know that truth, what it should do is shift us out of a mindset of trying to hide things and try to deal with them, try to address them in our own lives, to search our own hearts. This is a truth that David understood. After David's failures, David understood that, guess what? I have tendencies within me that are bad. I have tendencies within me that are wrong, and I do not want to affect my relationship with God. And so, in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, listen to what David says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, 
and know my thoughts. God, look within me. Help me to see within myself, to recognize what's wrong, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen, man, emotions will tell us again. They will tell us to hide what's wrong, and the Spirit will bring it to the surface. We want to find fault in ourselves. Recognize the fact that we're not perfect. We can tell ourselves that we are. We can think that we're not to blame. And that's where Joshua is right now. He's in denial. He's in denial of this truth. But what he understands is the fact that he needs to at least... He he doesn't see any problem with himself. But it doesn't keep him from looking. It doesn't keep him from looking. And what happens is, bottom line, he knows he wants to make sure that he's right with God. Above anything else, I want to make sure my relationship is good with him. And see, that's exactly what Joshua should have done. As soon as that defeat was over, he should have fallen before the Lord, and instead of opening his mouth, he should have sought God's counsel to recognize if there was something going on, and God would have told him. You and I, so many times we serve ourselves. We need to go to God saying, Lord, show me. Help me to be better. Don't think we come to God thinking we've got everything, we've got everything covered, because guess what? We're all a work in progress. God's doing a work in each one of us. Colossians 3, verses 23 through 25. He's addressing the fact that, guess what? We're not to serve ourselves. We're not in this thing for us. What happens here in verses 23? He says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Recognize, not unto men can even include ourselves. Listen, God's calling us to serve Him. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. We don't serve ourselves we serve, or this world, but He, verse 25, God knows the truth. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Nobody. God sees it all. Taking responsibility for our actions requires maturity. Now, not only developmentally like in our age, but spiritually. Spiritually, as we grow and develop in our faith, we become more prone to take responsibility for those things in our life that are not pleasing to God. But even the most mature Christians can be derailed by their emotions. Because our emotions can blind us. And that's where Joshua finds himself right now. Which brings us to our next point. He allows fear to determine his outlook. Listen to verse number 9. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. Listen to the defeat... In Joshua's words, he is, he's done. Not only has he accepted defeat at AI, but he's, he's accepted the defeat of all of Canaan because of the emotions that are boiling inside of him. What's he doing? He's imagining the worst case scenario. Can anyone relate? Yeah. We look at a situation. Well, it could go this way, this way, this way. Whoa, I'm not doing that because you know it could happen. We see what possible. Notice the wording. Notice what he says. For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us around and cut off our name from the earth. He's saying it's a foregone conclusion. We're as good as dead, fellas. It's done. Joshua's fallen prey to his fears. And because of that, his fears are calling the shots. The question we have to ask ourselves, right? Have we ever been there? Have we ever made our decisions purely based upon what we're afraid of? Gosh, I think most of us can look back in our lives and see decisions that we made based upon we didn't do it because we were afraid. And now we look back and we go, man, boy, I regret that. I could have this and I could have that. 
Liz was saying that she was talking to her mom, and her mom's 80-some years old. And she said her mom's always struggled with fear. Always struggled with fear. And she said recently, she said, Mom, of all those things that you worried about, all those things you were afraid of, how many of them came true? She said, none of them. How many things do we miss out on because we're just too afraid? And what happens is we imagine the dangers that could befall us. Now, when we do this, what we do is we take uh, things that aren't even, they're just potential. They're just, they're just there in our imagination. And we can become so fearful of things that have not even happened, we can make them real. And we can take things that are potential dangers that we don't even know are going to happen, but in our minds we can solidify them and make them a sure thing, which is exactly what Joshua's doing here. This is what's going to happen. I'm just telling you, we're as good as dead. And when we do this, devoid of God's guidance, devoid of God's influence, Man, we are setting ourselves on a road of regret and destruction. Now, I'm not telling you that fear is not an important thing and that God didn't give you a fear response for a reason. That doesn't mean you're just, I'm not afraid of anything. Listen, being highly aware and highly and prepared in a, in a dark alley in the middle of downtown, that's a really good thing. God gave you fear to protect you. But at the same time, fear that's devoid of God's influence, fear that's driven by our own just imaginations and fears is destructive. And unfortunately, most of us make our decisions and live our lives based upon that sad and destructive truth. See, desperation for a Christian is a choice. Desperation is a choice. Because when we find ourselves in a situation of desperation, that means it is hopeless. And with God, there's always hope. There's always hope. Can I tell you, am I telling you you're never going to feel desperate? No. Am I telling you you're not going to be fearful? No. Am I telling you you're not going to be broken? No. But can I tell you, every time you are, you are not alone. And God can use that moment of fear and doubt and all that stuff to redirect you. It's exactly what he's going to do for Joshua. He's going to open his eyes through failure. We can learn through our failures or we continue the same old road. There are people that have lived their lives in fear for 70 years and have lived with the results. If that's our story today, man, we can, we can change it. And we look at this and we go, okay, what are we supposed to do? How should we do this? What's so awesome is that God has put the Bible so full of amazing pictures. I just love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. So if we go back and we go, let's find a really good picture comparing fear and faith. Let's just see what it looks like. Well, we go back to the parting of the Red Sea. Oh, man, remember that? God director, remember God's plan was to direct them to pi high hireth 300-foot cliffs on either side, the Egyptian army behind them, and an ocean in front of them. you got no escape. Here's your moment. What are you going to do? Here's the picture and the response of fear. Exodus 14, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says this, Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? What a lie! Do you hear what they just said? Didn't we tell you before we left Egypt we wanted to stay in Egypt that we liked it there? That's a great place. The fish, the leeks, the garlic. I love that place. Don't you? That was awesome. All the whips. It was awesome. That's what they're saying. And this is what he continues. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Who do they sound like? Joshua. He sounds just like the Israelites that died in the wilderness. We're going to have our name cut off from the earth. We're going to die. The lingering impact of sin from Achan has had Joshua fearful. Now look at this picture of response from his discipler, Moses. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, 
Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today. You shall see them again no more forever. Instead of, being allow, instead of allowing fear to climb into the driver's seat of his life, or Moses says, by faith he will trust in the one who has proven himself to be worthy. The one who has proven himself to be God. He is a man of faith as opposed to being a man of fear. The question we have to ask ourselves is, which one are we? What's our M.O.? If our family described who we were, would they describe us as a person of faith or as a person of fear? I know which one we want to be. And see, God's called us not to be fearful. God's called us to be a people of faith. In the Bible, time and time again, from Genesis to Revelation, there are hundreds and hundreds of times where God tells us either not to be afraid or not to fear. I picked out seven that I think are just rock star awesome, and we're going to call these out. Deuteronomy 7, 18. Thou shalt not be afraid of them, but thou but shalt well remember what the Lord thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt. Deuteronomy 3.23, You shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. Joshua 1.9, I have not commanded thee, be of, a strong, be of a strong courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Psalm 56.4, In God I will praise his word, in God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Hebrews 13, 6, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And Revelation 1, 17, And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Time and time and time and time and time again, God reminds us not to be fearful. So as children of God, when we live lives of fear, instead of being people of faith, man, what's happening is the fact that we are literally living contrary to God's Word. We're trusting in our fear. And as we just heard, fear is not very accurate. How many of us have, like we said, we believe things that were going to happen, but they never happened? been fearful things that never happen. More nine out of ten times, it does not happen. They're like the weatherman of emotions, right? They just don't come through for us. But then we look at God. Is God faithful? Yes. He's faithful every time. Yet if we take our fear and our faith in our humanity, we choose our fear. As inaccurate as it is, and yet we trust it over God. Doesn't make sense but we're supposed to learn from Joshua's, Joshua's mistake. Notice in Romans 8.31, Paul says about dealing with the challenges of life. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, if we're born again, the battle has already been won. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The victory, man. It was given to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The victory is done. Romans 8.37-39 says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we live a defeated life that's riddled with fear, we're literally dishonoring the Savior. We're dishonoring His sacrifice. We're living contrary to Scripture. Joshua's fearful response is just wrong. It's just wrong. And we allow our fear to be our guide. Guess what? We're just wrong. I'm not saying we don't do it. I'm not saying I don't do it on a regular basis. 
But guess what? We're all a work in progress. Let's learn from Joshua's mistake. What we see here is, unfortunately, as we deal with our fears, as we deal with the responsibility that may be accountability that we don't want to face, what happens many times is we want to claim to be the victim. We don't want to look at where we may be the problem and see a victim needs a victimizer. And if we can't find one in the people around us or in our surroundings on earth, and we don't want to look here, we run out of options, what do we do? We blame God. We blame God. Notice what he says in verse 9. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? Okay. Because Joshua can't fathom that the problem can be with him or with his people. He points the finger at God. Do you notice the wording of verse 9? Notice what he says. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? What accountability do you have, God? You can hear the frustration and indignation in his voice. Listen to what he's saying. He's addressing Almighty God. Joshua's almost like he's saying this. Now that you've blown it, what are you going to do to make this thing right? How are you going to straighten this out? At this point in time, Joshua doesn't know what's going on. He's on his face before the Lord. We saw that in verse number 6. But now he's still running his mouth. He's still complaining. He doesn't have ears to hear. He's done nothing but point fingers up to this point. He's pointed everywhere else. He's now pointing up to God. The audacity of him to do such a thing. Consider the fact that God's the one that delivered them. God's the one that brought the plagues. God's the one that, the one that parted the Red Sea. God's the one that provided the manna. They gave water from the rock. That literally just gave them the victory over Jericho. Has provided, 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 provided. How dare he do such a thing? But how many of us, when life gets hard, and we find ourselves in a mess, and we're in a place of frustration, we gaze up to heaven, And instead of thanking God for His faithfulness, instead of praising God for His provision and His his stalwart support of us, no, we look up with with frustration in our eyes. We look and we, we we shoot a view up to God, an accusatory look onto Him. Do you realize how much stuff God gets blamed for every day that He has nothing to do with? Right? People say stuff like, well, if God is a loving God, well, then why is all of their suffering and death in the world? You say he's a loving God, yet that's what he's good with? Hey, can I tell you this? That You know what? God, it was not God's will that death and suffering be a part of human existence. It was not. It was the will of man. In the midst of our struggles, man, we have got to have eyes to see and understand the fact that God is working Sin entered this world and death entered into this world because of the will of man. And then man continues to bring destruction and continues to bring death to God's creation. That was created to be perfect, by the way. Perfect. But then God did something special. He gave us free will. And in that free will, we chose destruction. And every time we sin, we choose destruction. Every time we stand in rebellion to God, we choose destruction. And what we have right now is a culture that is gobbling up God's creation as fast as they can, trying to find peace somehow in this place. And as they gobble it up and they use all the resources that God created, they curse His name. Amazing. And yet, God has compassion 
and mercy and forgiveness and grace. And the ultimate picture of that, the ultimate picture is a rugged cross. Where he willingly placed the rightful blame that was ours onto himself, onto his innocent shoulders. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the guilty become blameless. Only God. We deserve the blame. But because of the incredible love of God, He's willing to take it upon himself. And people curse his name. Joshua is where he is because of a combination of pride and ignorance that have manifested themselves in him shifting blame, allowing fear to determine his outlook, and blaming God. Listen, man, we have all been just like Joshua. We have all failed in our faith. We have all allowed our circumstances to overwhelm us and fear to become our story. Now, because of God's great mercy and his love, Joshua's eyes are going to be opened. Praise the Lord. The revelation of God is coming next week. And what we'll find out is, you know what? Not only is his faith going to be solidified, but he won't fail God again. Joshua will learn his lesson. See, the question for us today in looking at Joshua's failure is have we learned our lesson what not to do? How do we change? And the last question I have for you, who is in the driver's seat of your life? Is it your fear or is it your faith? And you see, the answer will determine whether our story goes forward as victory or defeat. We know what Joshua did. Every day, we have to choose. What will we do? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today, for your word. And God, I know today may have been a difficult, difficult message. Lord, I know it stepped all over my toes as I wrote it. And uh, God, I just pray that you... Help us, Lord, to hear the hard truths that are in it and the example we see in Joshua's life. That, Lord, we might, uh, we might see it in ourselves and make the changes that we need to, not to emulate the bad behavior, Lord, but learn from it and change who we are. And uh, with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, listen, if you're here today and you say, look, Pastor, I, I got some issues in my life. I need, to, I need to do some soul searching. I need to look within myself. Hey, I understand exactly what you're talking about. We all need to soul search. We all need to look within ourselves. But we must go there saying, God, show me even the things I don't want to see. Help me, Lord, to address these issues in my life that you might be able to use me for victories in the future because I don't want to continue in defeat. And for those here today that say, you know what? You may say, I don't even have a relationship with the Lord. I don't know where I stand with God. 20 years ago, I did not know either. If you're watching this online and you say, you know what, 
I'm not, I'm not a Christian. I don't even know what that means. I didn't even know what that meant. But can I tell you this? That God loves you right where you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you come from, no matter what your story is. And He loves you right where you are. And that rugged cross that we touch on, that rugged cross that we talked about, and the love of God is, being reaching, is reaching out to you right now. And what His desire is, God's desire for you, is that you would be restored unto Him. He created you for a love relationship. And if you feel isolated and separated from right now, I can tell you he's ready to restore that relationship in an instant. It only takes a matter of faith. The Bible says, for with, by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved by faith. And if you want to receive Christ right now, he's calling out to you. All you have to do is receive him. Now listen, this is not a religious ceremony. There's no magic prayer involved here. The Bible says that God looketh, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And if he's calling you right now, you know it. And he's asking you to respond. And if you respond by faith, not with a magic prayer, not through a ceremony, but by faith, your heart speaking to him, he will save you right where you sit and change your eternity. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but it will not be the words of the prayer. It'll be your heart that God's listened to. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, repeat after me. Dear Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner, and I'm so sorry for all that I've done wrong. I know because of my sin, I've separated myself from you. I'm so sorry. I'm asking you right now, by faith, to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins and give me a home in heaven. I believe that you died on the cross, that you were buried in a borrowed tomb, and that you rose on the third day, proving you are God. Lord, thank you for the work you're doing in me. I repent of who I was, and I ask you to make me a child of the King. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.